Hey, it's Adam here, and I want to tell you where you can get more free sex and how you can support the podcast. I'm building a kind of hub for the project on Substack. It's just freesex.substack.com. I'm publishing transcripts for all episodes there for free and occasional writings about free sex for subscribers only. Plus, you can interact with me and stuff like that. To make this podcast, I'm relying on contributions from listeners. My indie podcast company, Artnell, has invested in getting it going, and I'm paying my guests. But the only way I can fund it from now is with support from people like you, who subscribe at freesex.substack.com. Or you can just continue listening to the podcast for free and using the transcripts on the Substack if you need them. Thanks for joining me as we edge ever closer to a world of free sex. What does free sex mean to you? Do you ever think you'd have more sex or better sex if only you could change one thing? What is that thing? I'm Adam Smith, a writer, podcast producer, walker, talker, thinker, wanker. (laughs) I started having sex at 29. 29! And I've been obsessed ever since. Now I'm on a mission to find out how, as a society, we hold each other back in sex. What could a world of free sex look like? For me, free sex is a world with more places to fuck and without sexually transmitted infections. How about you? What are you into? Every episode, I speak to a different human with a unique idea for what free sex could mean. This podcast is fully pansexual and gender fluid. From mild to wild, everyone is welcome. Let's go. Why can't we have sex in public? My guest in this episode is Jackson King, a writer, journalist, and professional dominant or pro-dom. Jackson's way to free sex is through the political and public liberation of sex. So in this interview, he breaks it all down for me, from legal rights to the priorities of the LGBTQ movement, from what it means to have complete control over your own body, and to how sex cops are policing us. We talk about kinky sex parties, how sex was completely forgotten about during the COVID lockdowns, and why it's weirdly acceptable to say at a dinner party that you're trying for a baby, but not that you're raw dogging, when really it's the same thing. (laughs) I hope you enjoy listening to this interview with Jackson. I loved taping it with him. Here you go. Let's go. Jackson King, welcome to Free Sex. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> it's, so, it's so great to speak to you about this uh, because you think about this um, so much, I know. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say <laughs> when I ask you the question, what does free sex mean to you? To me, free sex is the political and public liberation of sex. Okay, public. This is yes. intriguing. Yeah. Okay. 
So um, I'm thinking parks. I'm thinking train stations. <laughs> no, okay. Break it down to me. The political okay. and public liberation of sex. Tell me. So I promise we will get to the parks and the train stations um, <laughs> and the George Michael of it all. But um, yes, I think, you know, a lot of us, well, not, not me and not you, but I think a lot of people um, think of sex as this very personal, private thing, um, when in reality it's actually incredibly political, politicized, and takes up a lot of space in the public sphere. And that is reflected in, um, you know, the bodily autonomy issues that we see coming up, whether it's LGB freedoms, whether it's trans healthcare, reproductive justice, kinky sex, sex work. Um, I also want to throw in the uh, detesticulated community as well. So um, these are uh, people who, um, you know, for whatever reason, have a desire to um, have like testicles removed or things like that Mm -hmm. and are unable to because there's this really intense sort of like pronatalism um in the healthcare system Mm -hmm. so um that one i think i i kind of just wanted to raise because it's i think something that not many people know about um so uh it's yeah something else to think about and i'm interested in hearing you say a bit more about bodily autonomy specifically autonomy like what does autonomy mean I think it's maybe a word that a lot of people don't use that much so what does it mean you've talked about all those other things LGBT freedoms reproductive justice kinky sex all of these things are connected to bodily autonomy but what does that mean it means having a say in um Mm -hmm. what you get to do with your own body Um, and not being limited or constricted um, or confined by uh, what other people think you should be doing with your body. So whether that's getting an abortion, whether that is taking hormones or getting gender-affirming surgery, whether it's having gay sex um, or kinky sex or, um, you know, being a sex worker, um Mm -hmm. yeah these are all things where it's about like my body my choice essentially yeah okay got you and so you said the political and public Mm. liberation of sex so let's go a bit more into that political side because that's also connected to those things that you said about freedoms and rights Mm. right so what are the basically what are the laws that need to change i suppose oh that's a good question where to begin um (laughs) what are the laws that need to change (laughs) i I mean i think i think when i when i talk about sort of political liberation um yes i'm talking about laws um but i think politics is also deeper than that um yeah i think politics um it it's about power, isn't it? And systems of power and control. And yeah, yeah, sometimes that power is like through a law or state power. Um, But it's also, I suppose, um, trying to think of of other ways to frame it. Um, Yeah, there's the personal politics of like, what can you 
do or say yeah your relative power to another person exactly exactly yeah um and you know for example you know it's not illegal to be gay in this country mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but you can still get hate crime for it <laughs> yeah do you know what i mean yeah. so it's so for me like politics is is sort of deeper than um just what's legal or illegal it's also about yeah. these forms of social control um that may occur through violence or through um the kind of spreading of like bigotry or sort of mm-hmm. um you know harmful beliefs as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so um kinky sex if like i can see the 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 lgbt freedoms the reproductive uh freedoms and justice um those those are obviously bodily autonomy issues um, which are connected to sex and then things like sex work and kinky sex are in a way like even more quote unquote connected to sex. Cause it's like the actual sex <laughs> that's happening. Um, so I'm in, I guess I'm wondering about those, if we're talking about that personal political dynamic between two people in order to have freer kinky sex and uh, f- freer sex work. I obviously don't mean unpaid sex work. <laughs> just having the freedom yeah. to, to yeah. Um, you know, uh, sell sex, sex, um, sex work um, and buy it and so on. Uh, so yeah, how, um, how do, can we change the language and the conversation around those things so that there is more political freedoms there, do you think? So I think for me, it comes down to this idea of um, sex cops. And um, I think, you know, there are actual sex cops in the UK, in our world. Um, But then also, you know, to use the, the kind of quote that everyone knows kill the kill the cop in your mind as well i think Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we need to talk to um people about killing the sex cop in their mind um, as a way of um yeah just like changing the conversation and moving it forward because um i think that it's easy for people to think that their personal ick or discomfort with the kinds of sex that other people have or um sex work is kind of like this harmless just personal opinion that they have um Mm -hmm. but actually you know uh it 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 all exists on this spectrum of okay and on the one hand someone might be like oh i don't i don't like kinky sex i think it's wrong i think Mm -hmm. um you know, it's about abuse or about violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you follow that through to the other extreme and you get things like um, Operation Spanner. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was essentially um, this like British police investigation into gay S&M sex in the late yeah. 1980s. And yeah. it actually resulted in 16 men being prosecuted. Um, and, yeah. and that's because they had, they'd had completely consensual kinky gay sex um, in private yeah. as well. Um, yeah. And several police forces um, led by the Met Police questioned around 
a hundred gay and bi men in this investigation. They publicly named 43 individuals, sort of name and shaming thing, and then obviously jailed 16. And, you know, there's obviously much to be said around, um, I guess, the, the discomfort with kinds of sex that are different mm-hmm. to vanilla sex, that are not heterosexual, yeah. that are not about procreation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not about penetration. Not about penetration. Often, often kinky sex isn't about penetration. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I guess what I'm, what I would love people to think about um, more and to think more critically about is, okay, you know, where does your your personal ick can't then become a stick mm-hmm. to beat other people with? Um, oh yeah. Uh, don't make your ick into a stick. Yeah, exactly. Don't make your ick into a stick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because actually... You... S- <laughs> sorry, go on. Yeah, sorry. No, I'm just so glad that you're talking about Operation Spanner because I think it's just not very well known. Because mm. it happened some time ago and the case went on for years because it was bouncing between courts and appeal courts and even at the European level and stuff right and um and I mm. think you know it went on well into the 90s but after that it obviously it's kind of fallen out of the public conversation a bit and even among I would say like e- even in terms of like conversations about gay rights quote yes. unquote, even if they exist anymore like it's just it's it's not there i mean conversations about gay rights hardly exist at the minute anyway because i think well, for a lot of people it's like oh it's done it's over <laughs> um you know um and uh, obviously there is this there is a the broader lgbtq plus movement um there are you know much bigger priorities um, mm. within that movement that we need to deal with at the moment and so um but it's just something that I think is also worth reminding people all the time that there was this case which yes. tested the idea of does a person have the freedom in their body and in their mind to consent to something which looks like violence against them mm. but is actually part of their sexual practice and can mm. the state intervene in that? And that's the basic fundamental question of that case. And I think yeah. we all need to keep remembering that, <laughs> that precisely question. and it's and yeah i think it's you know can the state intervene in that is mm-hmm. um is the thing that ties all of these different issues together for me um yeah you yeah. know they're not disconnected you know there's a reason uh like the timing of operation spanner you know it happened um you know after gay sex had been sort of like partially decriminalized um, yeah. so, you know, the cops couldn't just, just go straight after gay people anymore, mm-hmm. but they, they mm-hmm. needed to find other sort of subtler ways. Um, mm-hmm. and you, you know, around the time the Operation Spanner happened, um, it, 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 it followed the British government's like, don't die of ignorance, HIV AIDS campaign. Uh-huh. It was around the same time as Margaret Thatcher, giving her infamous um, warning of children being taught that they have this inalienable, inalienable right to be gay. Um, yeah. It's around the time of Section 28 coming into place. So um, almost kind of going after gay kinky sex was like a way to also go after gay people. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's just always 
useful to remember that these issues are connected. You know, we're seeing the, currently seeing the ways in which um, targeting trans people has now opened the door for um, people to start being more homophobic. Um, yeah. And so I think the more that we bring all of these issues together and kind of show across solidarity that actually what we're all asking for is um, my body, my choice, or, you know, autonomy. Um, It's harder to then divide and conquer us. Do you think that because the um, LGBTQIA plus movement, if there is such a thing, I mean, I believe that there is a solidarity between us all, members of this family, but it's not mm. a it's not a complete family, and we don't all di- we don't all agree on <laughs> the priorities, and we don't always treat each other properly, and all of that stuff. But if we see it as a movement, um, do you think that um, because you know for years there was a focus on uh, ending section 28 and then for years after that there was a focus on things like marriage and also a focus on um, gender recognition rightly and then now we're basically at war over transphobia and so much of our energy rightly is put into trans rights um, and getting mm. um, you know get, you know getting getting the rights getting the dignity stopping the transphobia winning mm. that etc that um and all of these things are like legitimate um, goals, obviously. But do you think that the question of sex and the laws around sex and the that point of bodily autonomy, even though it's linked to all those other things, is does that always get pushed aside a little bit because it's in a way... Absolutely. Often, well, yeah. You, do you think so? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think that, um, you know, the, the urge to assimilate is real and... Yeah. Um, part of that kind of LGBT assimilation thing is about making ourselves less threatening. Um, it's, it's love is love. It's, you know, I just want to, um, get married and have kids just like any straight couple and have a sort of like very wholesome, um, nuclear family set up. Um, and I think, you know, that's a much more kind of palatable form of queerness to um, wider society than, say, um, you know, the the kind of faggotry that is going cruising or, um, you know, cottaging or sex parties, things like that. Like, uh, I think that there is a tendency within the community for, for people who are kind of more well, perhaps less kinky and maybe a bit less sexually adventurous to have no problem kind of selling out the queers who are in order to mm-hmm. appeal mm-hmm. to to the cis heads, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And so where does that leave us? <laughs> if we are, you know, if we are within this community and this community is very good at um at, at, uh, often not always very good at standing together and and making the arguments mm. and organizing um and dividing into things like okay well you lot wear the suits and go and speak to the parliamentarians and you lot 
make the DIY placards <laughs> and go and shout on the street. Like we need both of these things. Like we're, you know, yeah. we have, we have done this before. We've, um, we, we've been quite good at it. So in terms of sex and the rights about the freedoms of sex, like where, where do we go from here? Like, what do we, what, what do we do? <laughs> <sighs> That's such a big question. Um, yeah, it's I mean, not all I, on you, hun. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, because I, I do feel like that is part of the work that I personally try to do and that I, I feel that you're doing yeah. as well, which is actually just talking much more openly yeah. and unapologetically about sex, about gay sex, about mm-hmm. um, cruising, about, you know, BDSM, kink, sex work. Um, and trying to be part of destigmatizing these things and mm-hmm. helping people to kill the kill the sex cop in their minds yeah. Um, yeah. through just having greater understanding of um, you know what of the importance of free sex of choice and of the risks mm-hmm. of um, policing those things whether it's interpersonally or literally having the cops show up (laughs) because yeah you know you went cruising during the pandemic um yeah you know which was a thing that happened uh that happened that did happen police um in in london did did fine fine gay men for having having sex on Hampstead heath during the the pandemic um yeah. Yeah. breach of coronavirus rules um yes but again yeah. it it, you- it just feels like oh how that was quite um again this is why i feel like it's important to tie these things together because it's like okay technically it's about a breach of coronavirus rules but in the mm-hmm. spirit of it and in terms of who they're targeting is it yeah. just a cover for homophobia do you know what i mean well do you know what i remember thinking that a lot at that time because what really pissed me off about those things about the coronavirus lockdowns and everything even though you know like i i do think that we had to do it and all of yeah. us are not going to go yeah, into yeah. into the you know we don't want to go back there in that <laughs> sense but i <laughs> i do i what pissed me off is the way that the public conversation was about when am I going to be free to hug my grandpa again? Or yes. like, when, uh. am I, when can I, when can I give my, um, my little niece her birthday gift? And all of these things are like totally cute. But I was sitting at home in my bedroom thinking, when can I go out and fuck again? Yes. <laughs> when yeah. can I go and, when can I go and snog someone? On the dance floor or in the park or whatever. And I was like, why is no one saying that? And like, even if you went to the government, like websites about the restrictions and the, the, you know, for example, here are the things that you can't do. And like, um, you know, it was like, it was just not a part of the public conversation and the mental health thing. This was the thing, like a lot of people were saying, you know, oh, well, I, it's my mental health requires me to hug my granny. And I was like, my (laughs) mental health requires me to kind of have a shag like once in six months please so like no, why is the, like but so there there was this implied um value there's a hierarchy isn't your, there yeah hun- hugging your granny was top of the pyramid and i was bottom of the pile because i just wanted to have a shag ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I mean, let's let's get into that because I think, you know, yes, number please. one, the way that um the British public and the government handled sex during the pandemic was just so stereotypically repressed um you know i think at one point the government said that like any physical contact including sex with someone you don't live with is like against the rules and it's like okay hear that but then that's obviously prioritizing like couples who live together realistically straight couples married couples things like that um and there was just no um conversation about you know physical intimacy sexual intimacy is something that's important to people an important human need and that you know people are going to do it anyway so what's the harm reduction you know is it and you know i feel like conversations around that did happen but they weren't led by the government and i feel like in other countries they the governments were a little bit more proactive about okay if you're going to do it then maybe don't kiss or you know things like that you're right. I think there were guidelines put out by some governments, I think from Europe, maybe I'm yes. thinking the Netherlands. I saw some like yes, infographics. That was it. Of, like, yeah, it was yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here's how to have here's how you if you're gonna have sex, here's one way to do Yeah. <laughs> but can you imagine like, like that? The British the British would just never could never do that. Um but I the know. other and thing at that time as well, imagine Boris Johnson being the spokesperson for Oh, that. No, actually, do you know what? Maybe we dodged a bullet in that. <laughs> We did. We did. I don't want Boris Johnson standing on a podium and telling me how to have sex. Thank you very much. No, Um, no, no, no. (laughs) But do you know what, you know, you were saying about the sex cops and how cops did go and find people for having sex in the parks uh, during the COVID lockdown as a breach of COVID regulations. So um, obviously those regulations are gone now. That's, that's not a law Mm. that people are um, breaking anymore, but um, there are still laws that govern what we can and can't do like that right and i think that it's the kind of law that um people generally on average like think yeah of course like there should be a law against nudity in public and against sex in public because you know not everyone wants to see that or because it's a private matter and because you know we need to protect the kids and so i i I kind of i'm interested to hear how you think about this because i think about this a lot because there is some, this is not a black and white issue for me. Like there are some, I can see why these arguments are made, the arguments mm. against nudity or, or, or sex mm. in public. But I also feel like we're way too far in that, in that end of the spectrum right now. And so I kind of sometimes feel like I have to fly the flag for like sex in public. <laughs> and then people make, makes, you know, makes me think that I'm talking that I, you know, want everyone to be fucking in the street all the time which is not the case. It's just, you sort of have to drag the conversation back in that direction. So how do you have that conversation and how, what's your philosophy? Yeah, I guess, so I guess my angle on the kind of sex in public conversation is that actually, um, you know, 
straights, straight cis people are allowed to have very public sex lives, but mm-hmm. um, we don't think of it in that way because it's so normalized. Um, mm-hmm. So there's this this essay called Sex in Public um, written by Lauren Ballant and uh, Michael Warner. And they talk about um, the heterosexual couple as the referent or the the privileged example of sexual culture. So essentially it's like, okay, for for sort of het sexualities to be public, which is why it's all right to, in front of wider family, talk about trying for a baby Um, and, and, you know, (laughs) taking lots of, (laughs) taking lots of cummies in your tummy um in you know in front of kids and oh in God. front of yes. grandparents yes. and that's everyone that's just a euphemism for shagging isn't it it's yeah. just you know it's okay for them to talk about raw dogging but if i bring that up mm. at the you know over christmas <laughs> now there's a problem um yes you know it's okay for them to have this like have physical affection in public um without yeah. the threat of violence um marriage is like this sort of mediated and sanctioned sexual union um, mm-hmm. through the state. And mm-hmm. so basically they have this sort of privileged public, uh, they take up space um, sexually yeah. Yeah. in public yeah. in a way that other sexual cultures, you know, if you're non-monogamous, if it's queer, if it's for pure pleasure rather than procreation, if it's kinky, um if it's sex work, so on and so forth, these things are marginalized and punished. So mm-hmm. I think when we talk about sex in public, we need to start by naming the ways in which um, there is a kind of sex that's allowed to be public, and then there are kinds that aren't. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think the, the the default belief is that there's no sex that's public. It's actually no, no, no there is. It's just we don't yeah. we don't see the wood for the trees. Actually, it's it's yeah. just that we're so accustomed to kind of like het uh, sexualities uh, that we don't pick up on it. Yeah. Do you know who did see the wood for the trees? George Michael. Oh, he did. (laughs) He saw some wood, all right. He saw saw the wood wood among the trees. (laughs) And yeah, he went for that. Yeah. Um, It's interesting, though, because I agree with you that there is this like public expression of sex that um, you're allowed to make if it's more quote unquote normal sex, like, you know, yeah, cis, het, um, procreative, all those things. Um, But uh, there is still a a prohibition, both legally, I'm guessing, although there are gray areas around this, I don't know, maybe you know, and so prohibition legally and just socially towards like, you know, two people, whatever their gender identity, whatever their sexuality, whatever act they're doing, like going at it in the bush shelter, like while but in full view of everybody else, right? Like they would be stopped. Like whether it's like straight and cis or the faggiest, queerest possible. So there is definitely a line there. Yeah, but this is, but because this is what, gets me about the like Mm -hmm. sex in public conversation is that so and this this idea actually comes from um pat califia 
um, oh, yeah. who I think has also written about this. Um, yeah. Trans guy who wrote a lot about like kinky sex. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, but um, he talks about the fact that often when we're talking about like cruising, sex in toilets, mm. sex and sex on the heath, um, yeah. dogging, um, sex in the bushes, even, you know, yeah. sex at the Folsom street fair, which is very yeah. open street and public. Like actually people are doing these things in areas where there's an element of privacy and an element yes. of being hidden. Yeah. Like yeah. no one is actually trying to like get raw dogged on Oxford street. People yes. are going to these, <laughs> do you know what oh I mean? Oh my God, what a, what a turn off. <laughs> I know. Someone's like shouting at you, trying to sell you perfume and someone else is like running for the bus at the same yeah. time around you. Yeah. And so I think there's kind of a misrepresentation of yeah. things like cruising and yeah. cottaging because it's like, oh, you're, you're having sex in public. Well, it's like, actually, like mm-hmm. we're having sex in a space outside of the private home, but yeah. in a space that still affords a level of privacy and like, yeah. where really and truly you need to go looking for it to find it. Yeah. You know? My my friend has um, a good saying about this that, he, you know, he says in terms of like um, men hooking up with each other in public toilets, you know, he's like, I don't know what the, what the problem is. Like, the fact is, if you are not looking for that, it is invisible to you that it is happening. Exactly. Because... And, and and it is, it's true. Like, I was not looking for that for years and I n- never knew that that was happening. Never would have imagined mm-hmm. or dreamed of it. It was not some desire that naturally arose in me, etc. And then now that I know a lot more about that and I might be looking for that, like, I see it. You know, if someone's holding this eye contact. This is it. I'm like, oh, hello. Okay. This is it. You know? And yeah. so it's just, it's one of those... It's like the city and the city idea of like, it is possible for two different mm. cities to live on top of each other inside and outside each other at the same time. And we don't see certain things that we don't want to see. And I think this is a good example of that. Exactly. And I think the other um, part of the conversation is the idea that, um, you know, if sex always should according to some people, take place in a hotel or in, like, a private home. You know, Mm -hmm. it's privileging um, people who have, like, the wealth to do that. And so, like, or, you know, say you're a, I don't know, say you're a young queer person living at home with parents, you know, where can you go? What can you do? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just think that like there are sort of structural layers around access to housing and things like that that people don't think about. And it's like, well, just because you don't have your own home or your own space that you can host, doesn't mean that you should then be shut out of like sex and like sexual community and intimacy. It's true. There are definitely, I live with two friends, um, but, uh, and I, I don't know whether I would want to live alone. But if I could afford to live alone and I had that choice, I would consider it because mm. of the sexual freedom that it would bring me. Not that the yeah. other two are like cock blocking me or anything, but um, 
I don't know, just like emotionally, spiritually, and sometimes practically, frankly. Yeah. You know, like there, there is a consideration there. So mm. yeah, I would consider, ooh, what would this do? You know, I have the money. I could live, al- I could afford to live alone. So what would that do for my sex life? And do I want to make that choice? Exactly. And so I think this is why, you know, the fact that um, cottaging is still illegal in the UK and the fact that, um, you know, places that are sort of known for cruising, um, certain green areas have been sort of targeted by councils and stuff to um, make them a bit less uh, bushy, a little bit less... Uh, They've torn able- down bushes in a, yeah. in a park near me and they put a sign saying we've removed these because of antisocial behaviour. And I yeah. was like, well, that's obviously either sex or drugs or both. Yeah, and it's like... Okay, so what you're doing is, so so what you're saying is, like, the behaviour was hidden, you know, it wasn't, Mm, Yes. and so what you've done is you've taken away the thing that was hiding it, because actually, you're you're not upset about um, seeing it, because you're not really seeing it, you're upset about the fact that it's happening at all, ultimately. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Is mm. that what happened with the thing in Tower Hamlets? last year with those with the sex parties what was that, going on there yeah so that's i mean a part of london for those who are listening <laughs> um, there's a part of yeah there's a cat there's a borough of london called tower hamlets and in that borough there are just like probably most boroughs in london there are there are there were some like regular like club nights that had a sexual element or out and out kink parties that were using ven- like private venues yes um, yes i don't know you probably know more yeah um so essentially um a couple of uh sort of well-known kink and fetish club nights were threatened with legal action by the council yeah um and the the council like cited this 1982 law um kind of like taking it out from the archives to kind of slap Mm -hmm. these (laughs) these kind of kink parties um, from when? And 1982. 1982. Um, yeah. And it's a law that, like, basically, I think, forbids nudity and se- semi-nudity without the appropriate license. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. And in the end, um, because the kind of community made a, a huge kind of uproar about this and there was a strong feeling that these parties in particular were being targeted because they're very LGBTQ-centred, um, mm-hmm. the council did, did back down. Um, mm-hmm. But I think just that whole fiasco was, yeah, a good reminder of the fact that, again, people are having private fun. It's a private party. Um, it's not... You buy a ticket to go. You, so yeah, you, you buy a ticket to go. Um, yeah. I think probably what they were upset about was the idea of, um, you know, people in slightly kinky al- outfits walking through the streets um, to these different mm-hmm. venues. Um but you know people aren't like fucking in the street they're they're Mm. they're inside and it's again it's this thing of you know when a personal ick then becomes a stick to beat people or you know now we're going to pull out a law because you know we just don't like the idea that this is happening in my backyard um yeah yeah Yeah. and it's interesting because councils are you know, elected 
obviously mm. there are staff at the council, but then there are councillors who are elected locally. You know, the, there are local elections where the voting turnout is usually pretty low. Um, mm. But also we know in general that these kinds of parties, it's it's not the kind of party that the majority of people want to go to. So it is a minority thing. But it makes me think about that question of like, um, how do you create laws and rules and regulations that are like fundamentally like for the freedom of everybody deciding what they want to do, even if those people who are in charge of making those laws do not personally want to do that themselves. Mm. It's about like creating the legal landscape and the and the kind of social environment of, of freedom and just listening to you rattling through all these cases and stories makes me think that wow we might think that in london in the uk in 2023 that it's a pretty free environment for sex but it's evidently not and that we don't have that environment yet we we really don't and um i think again that's something that i wish more people were aware of and that they took into mm-hmm. consideration when they sort of enter into the discourse on sex and different kinds of sex um is that you know we are talking about something that is not just um personal and private but is politicized that is enforced by these by structures and the state um you know so i just think we need to be more more careful about um how we have conversations about sex. And that's something that kind of concerns me. Um, I hate to be such an uncle and use the phrase like puritine. Um, okay. <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah. but I feel okay, like I've got yeah. to say it. I feel like I've got to say it because yeah. I think, yeah. you know. Um, what does it mean, puritine? Can you just define so it? So I you? suppose, you know, you might describe it as, uh, a term to refer to perhaps like a younger generation who are very who are very anti-kink, quite anti-sex, don't want to see sex in television or in films. Um, and uh, you know, I, I kind of want to avoid falling into that trap of you know being like, oh, that's how Gen Z thinks. I don't. I don't think that's true. Um, I think yeah. it's you know. It's not a generational. Are, no, it's not. It's across a whole there kind are. of yeah. And, and I wonder if like one of the reasons why um, you know perhaps certain groups are kind of having very sort of anti-sex or sex-negative conversations is because they're growing up in a world where like okay, there's gay marriage okay, you can be mm-hmm. trans, okay, there's, like, mm-hmm. some level of reproductive justice um, and perhaps not realising the way in which, like, sex and sexual freedom is, like, hugely tied into all of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I kind of wonder if that kind of gay assimilation project, um, it, do you know something? I'm going to say it, Heartstopper. <gasps> oh yes, I've I know that yes. I've hurt some people's feelings right now, but no, you know, not mine. <laughs> but I just think like Heartstopper is probably the it's it's kind of the the culmination of the assimilation project. Mm. It's we're just like yes. you, straight people. <laughs> we're just like you. That's so true. We are not yeah. d- dirty, filthy, yeah. 
gays and queers. Like we yeah. just want love and cute crushes. Um, yes. And like, yes, we do, or some people do, and that's fine. But I think that it, it's scary to me that um, within that there's then almost an increasing stigmatization of like other kinds of queerness and queer sexuality and queer intimacy and experience. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really useful example and a warning from uncle about <laughs> how we need to think about sex, um, like going forward. I hate to say going forward, but that is where <laughs> we are, like going into the future, like thinking, like carrying all of these things that you've said, carrying them all with us, um, things to do with mm. rights, the bodily freedom and the ways that, um, how we relate to each other and the things that we say to each other and the things that we allow each other to say at a dinner party and then the things that get expressed in intensely popular culture like Heartstopper. Mm. Um, all of these things are expressions of where we are culturally and socially on free sex. Yes. And it's just evident hearing you speak that um, there are uncles like you and aunties <laughs> like me who have to like... <laughs> make sure that everyone is having this conversation um so absolutely yeah i yeah i just want to say thank you jackson for sharing these thoughts and ideas um it's been great to speak to you thank you i've had a great time talking about sex <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode let me know what you think of free sex the idea or the podcast Leave me a review and a star rating if you can. On social media, I'm at Adam Smith. Yes, that's Smith, but with a Z or a Z. Yeah, Smith. Mm. <laughs> it feels good in the mouth. <laughs> you can find more Aunt Nell productions on our website, auntnell.com. And on social, we're at auntnell underscore. The theme music is Trans Life by Othon. Hosted, produced and edited by Adam Smith. And the executive producer for Aunt Nell is Tash Walker. To all you loves and lovers, good night. Mwah. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 